Thank you for listening to the Faith Bible Church podcast. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit us at faithbiblemd.org. Something I've noticed has changed in the last 20 years. When I was a kid, in the winter in Canada, my mother would wake me up for school. She'd make sure I put on my snow pants, my hat, my mittens, my jacket, my snow boots, hand me my lunchbox and say, okay, it's time to go. Don't miss the bus. And then six-year-old me left the house and walked a quarter of a mile downhill to the bus stop. Nowhere's near our trailer, the trailer court. Neither of my parents could see me at the bus stop. They had no assurances I ever got onto the bus. Once I walked out that door, often they never saw me again until five o'clock at night. And I walked back in again. I was just supposed to make it back to the house on my own for supper. And at the bus stop, there was no adult supervision, no one to tell us where to line up or behave or stop fighting, no adults to make sure we got on and off the bus okay, we just had, or that we had our stop. We were just expected to be able to do that on our own. And you know what? <clears throat> I did. Amazing. When I was in second grade, I was seven years old, we lived in town, and I had to walk three blocks to school by myself, unsupervised, cross streets, maneuver dogs, manage bullies, Got there on time. Eliana and I, we lived in Canada. Eliana would bundle the kids up and send them out to the bus stop in the freezing cold. Seven-year-old Robbie and four-year-old Ricky, she could see them from the house at the window as they stood out there. I can't put my arms down. You know, all bundled up. And uh, we never stood with them. Our parents never stood with us. Nowadays... I drive to work, I see parents standing on the side of the road with their kids waiting for the bus. I see parents with their cars parked at the end of their driveways with the kids sitting in the cars with the parents. Back in the day, dad just took the car and left, you know. That was it, went to work. There's no sitting in with you, waiting for buses. So that's something new in the last 20 years. What's my point? Which is better? Well, the old cranky people might complain of the softness of the younger generation in my day. Right? But I think the overall intent, John, is to keep the kids safe. So I think safety of children is probably better. However, learning to take personal responsibility for your life is a virtue that we did learn and practice in those everyday scenarios as children. Yes, we were, John, we were basically raised like free-range chickens. We went wherever our bicycles would take us, as long as we got back in time for supper, but I also remember a lot of fights and plenty of bullying. I remember a lot of trouble and mischief, uh, destruction of property, and I remember being terrorized more than once by German shepherds. Uh, one of my friends almost accidentally hung himself on a baler twine swing that we had in the Haymow. Uh, I uh, stepped on nails in the woods three or four times, building tree forts, rusty nails, I'm prone to do that. And uh, certainly, us starting grass fires for fun, that was not the smartest thing in the world. We were very careful that time. But, you know, we were extra careful with our 22s, 12-year-olds out doing, you know, practice in the woods, shooting rifles by themselves unsupervised. We would remind each other of the, you know, safety rules. So, ah, the good old days. Sometimes the... We look back at the world and uh, 
We look at our world and we think it's really bad. And we're nostalgic about the past. But many times the former things were not as good as we remember them. And actually, I'm more prone to look ahead and think that the best is yet to come. What? Pastor Rob, haven't you heard about the Great Reset, how the global elites who are meeting now for the World Economic Forum actually have stated their intent for us is to own nothing and be happy about it? Haven't you heard about the destroying of the food production facilities and making fertilizer so expensive it's causing farmers to cut production? Haven't you seen the price of eggs? Haven't you heard about all the plans to do away with money and go to a digital currency that can be controlled and manipulated by the governments, a social credit scoring system that will restrict individuals' rights and freedoms, the Orwellian nightmare that is being built and implemented, that lady who was arrested in England for standing outside an abortion clinic and praying in her head? She was arrested for a thought crime? Just sitting there thinking the wrong thing? Don't you see the moral decay that's taking place in our society and the perversion that is being heralded as good? Oh yeah, I see all that. I think that's very interesting. But if you listen carefully to Hebrews chapter 10 today, the author is going to tell us why we should not lose hope, why we should not throw away our confidence. Well, this is probably a really good time for that kind of message, don't you think? Well, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll finish off the chapter, starting with verse 32. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 32. Remember the former days. That's where my whole illustration started, right? <clears throat> when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated for you sympathize for for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that what you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one therefore don't throw away your confidence which is a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the pers pers preserving of the soul. Remember the former things, he says. That Greek word, remember, is anamanechnesko. Uh, according to the Greek lexicon, that word carries with it more than just, you know, remember to pick up your laundry, uh, remember your daily routines. It has the idea of some important moral connected to the memory. To consider, admonish, to weigh well. There is some lesson you were supposed to learn by going through what you went through. It's like when we take communion, it's, it's done as a memorial to remind us of something important, which is Jesus. The author says, remember the former days with the express purpose of reminding yourself of how bad it was because the former days for the audience of Hebrews was apparently really bad. Did you pick up on that? The former days when after being enlightened, you what? You endured great conflict of suffering, 
partly being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers of those who were treated. You showed sympathy to prisoners, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. Within a matter of days, the amount of followers of Jesus exploded in Jerusalem. They went from the disciples and this core group that was following them to over 5,000 really, really quick, 5,000 Christians. But that raised the ire of the Sanhedrin, and they tried to prevent the spread of Christianity with jailing, persecution, and even killing. Tactics like ostracizing Christians, boycotting their businesses, expelling them from their families, using a rioting mob to overrun somebody's home and just steal everything. We've seen this mob mentality where a group will rush into a store and just the sheer number of people stealing makes it impossible to stop it. That's what would happen. The Jewish community would turn this person over to be stripped of everything. So that's what he's referring to here. Uh, we see in examples in Acts, Acts chapter 8, a <clears throat> uh, little bit of a account. Saul approved of the putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered. They had to flee Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, but not the apostles. Some devout men, they buried uh, Stephen and mourned loudly for him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging away men and women and putting them in prison. Uh, and then continuing on a little more of that narrative, we see also in Acts chapter 12, Herod the king laid hold of some who belonged to the church to do them harm. He had James, this is one of, the, one of the disciples, the brother of John, executed with a sword. And when he saw that that pleased the Jews, meaning that pleased the, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jews, he proceeded to arrest the apostle Peter as well. So these actions drove the church out of Jerusalem and caused them to spread around the whole Roman Empire. So those were difficult days. It's, it's not a nice feeling when people in your community turn and do these things to you. Now, nowhere is near the degree that these earlier Christians endured, but in previous churches that I served in, I did have people on my leadership team turn against me and make accusations and reject me. And, and those actions helped me decide, well, you know, maybe, maybe we need to find a, another place. Like, we need to... Uh, find another place to serve God, people that are more cooperative and, and less interested in fighting with me. And there are other folks here at Faith Bible Church who are formerly pastors who experienced those types of things. And we remember the, the, the hurts and the offenses and, uh, you know, certainly set us back financially to uproot and start over. And, you know, my oldest boy, Robbie, he broke his heart to leave his friends and move away from family and the country and, you know, moving in general just kind of sucks. But my sufferings, our sufferings were minor, minor compared to the first century Christians and many Christians around the world. Here's a, here's a news report from Monday from the ChristianPost.com. Feel free to check that out. The Islamic State has reportedly claimed responsibility for an attack on a Nigerian church during worship service that killed two of the uh, ushers and injured three members. A second article, also on Monday, an unidentified armed men killed a 67-year-old Catholic priest in northwest Burkina Faso, a country in northwest Africa. 
Last June, at least 100 people were reportedly killed by an armed group in the Setanga district in northern Burkina Faso near the Niger border, where Al-Qaeda and Islamic State-affiliated militants are conducting an insurgent. And they report that in 2021, as many as 160 civilians were attacked and killed in that area of Africa. So there's this rise in extremism. Uh, over 1.4 million people have fled their homes in search for safety, making the situation in this country one of the fastest growing displacements and protection crises globally. And it's because of this extreme uh, Al-Qaeda and Islamic terror that's going on and attacking many Christians and churches. If you read the Christian Post, you can find stories like that every week. Now, your mainstream media is not going to talk about Christian persecution that goes on around the world because, you know, that's nothing new. That's been going on for 2,000 years. So uh, it's always been going on. You've got to remember that. That's what he's saying. Remember, that persecution is pretty much guaranteed by Jesus, right? He said to his followers at the beginning of his ministry, he spelled this out in Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you, not because you're being bad, but because of, Jesus says, because of me. Because you're standing up for me. Because you're trying to live like a follower of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven's great. For they did the same. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. Being a Christian is not for the faint of heart. If you want to be famous and loved by the world, don't think preaching the word of God is a way to propel you to that status. Jesus said in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, Know that they hated me before they hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as their own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Remember that. Yeah, I've had a few trials along the way. You don't need to feel sorry for me. My hardships have been mild. They have been tame compared to what the early church dealt with and what many Christians around the world are enduring this week. As Christians here in America, we've had such an easy go of it. No serious oppression to speak of. Most pastors and Christian leaders in America who deal with conflict, you know where that suffering really comes from? It comes from their churches. It comes from other Christians. And uh, also, we have many Christians who feel attacked by their, their pastors and their church leaders. So some people are here at Faith Bible Church because they got mistreated by church leaders someplace else. But it's all been very mild and tame. That really wasn't suffering for your faith. You just moved over here, and here we all are just worshiping and practicing our faith together. Well, I'm thankful, I'm grateful for those freedoms, amen? For the peace that we have uh, to uh, practice our faith openly. But all that ease has made the church soft and apathetic, and not just the church. It has made society, it's created some problems. This is a very interesting phenomenon. I want to I want to quote Alexander Titler of the University of Edinburgh, as he has noted eight stages of history. This is what we see. Uh, throw this slide up here so you can follow through it. Actually, he's got one more step than I articulated today, but... Things start from with bondage that results in spiritual growth. It results in some inner changes. So great civilizations are formed in a place of suffering, he says. Ancient Jews 
Remember that? They were in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. Uh, the Christian faith and the church came out of 300 years of persecution that we were talking about in the Roman Empire. And then Western Christ Christendom emerged from the chaotic conflicts during the decline of the Roman Empire and the movement of often fierce barbaric tribes. American culture was formed by the injustices that grew in the colonial times. So suffering and injustices even they cause and they even force spiritual growth. Suffering brings wisdom and a demand for spiritual discipline that seeks justice and revolution. So suffering refines. And then when that refining has happened in the inner man, we go from spiritual growth to producing great courage. Having been steeled in the crucible of suffering, courage and the ability to endure great sacrifice comes forth. Anointed leaders emerge and people are summoned to courage and sacrifice, including loss of life, in order to create a better, more just world for succeeding generations. People who have little to nothing also have little to nothing to lose and are often more than willing to live for something more important than themselves and their own pleasure. So a battle is begun, a battle requiring courage, discipline, and other virtues. And from that courage, we move to liberty. As a result of the courageous fight, the foe is vanquished, and then liberty and greater justice emerges. At this point, a civilization comes forth rooted in the greatest ideals. Many who led the battle are still alive, and the legacy of those who are not who are still fresh. So heroism and the virtues that brought about liberty are esteemed in the culture and the ideals that were struggled for during the years in the crucible are agreed upon at large by the population. And then liberty then results in abundance. Liberty ushers in a great prosperity because a civilization is still functioning with the virtues of sacrifice and hard work but then comes the first danger, abundance. Things that are in too great of abundance tend to weigh us down and take on a life of their own. At the same time, the struggles that engender wisdom and steal the soul to proper discipline and priorities moves to the background. Jesus said that a man's life does not consist of his possessions, but try to tell that to people in a culture that starts to experience abundance. Such a culture is living off the fumes of their early sacrifices. Its people become less and less willing to make sacrifices. Ideals diminish in importance and abundance weighs down the souls of the citizens. The sacrifice, discipline, the virtues responsible for the thriving of the civilization are increasingly remote from the collective conscious the enjoyment of the fruits of their labor, that becomes the focus. And then abundance thus leads to complacency. To be complacent means to be self-satisfied and increasingly unaware of serious trends that undermine health and the ability to thrive. Everything looks fine, so it must be fine. Yet foundations, resources, infrastructure, and necessary virtues are all crumbling. As virtues and disciplines and ideals become even more remote, those who raise the alarms are labeled as 
by the complacent as, well, killjoys and, you know, extremist and harsh and judgmental to talk about those things. So complacency then moves us to the next stage, which is apathy. The word apathy comes from the Greek, and it refers to a lack of interest in or passion for the things that once animated and inspired. And due to the complacency of the previous stage, a growing lack of attention to disturbing trends advances to outright dismissal. Many, many seldom think or care about the sacrifices of previous generations and lose a sense that they must work for and contribute to the common good. Civilization suffers a serious blow of being replaced by personalization and privatization uh, in growing degrees. Working and sacrificing for others, that becomes more remote, and a growing numbers become increasingly willing to live off the carcasses of previous sacrifice. They park on someone else's dime, but not willing to fill the parking meter for themselves. Hard work and self-discipline continues to erode, moving from apathy to dependence. Increasing numbers of people lack virtue and the zeal necessary to work and to contribute. The suffering and the sacrifices that built the culture, they're just now a distant memory. As discipline and work increasingly seems too hard, dependency grows, the collective culture now tips in the direction of dependence. Suffering any sort of anything at all seems intolerant. But virtue is not seen as a solution. Having lived off the sacrifices of others for years, the civilization now insists that others have to solve their woes. This ushers in a growing demand for government and collective solutions. This in turn deepens dependence as solutions move from personal virtues, local, family-based, church-based, community-based sacrifices, well, it's more of a centralized answer. And then dependence turns back to the beginning. Bondage. As dependence increases, so does centralized power. Dependent people tend to become more increasingly dysfunctional and desperate. Seeking a savior, they look to a strong central leadership. But centralized power corrupts, and it tends to usher in increasing in intrusions by the centralized power. So injustice and intrusions multiply, but those in bondage, they don't know any other solution. Family and personal virtue, essential ingredients for any civilization, they're, they're now effectively replaced by this increasing dark and despotic centralized control, hungry for more and more power. In this way, the civilization gradually, gradually ends because people in bondage no longer have the virtues necessary to fight. Or another possibility is that another powerful nation comes along and invades and takes over and sets up their own culture. This cycle, typically, uh, Titler sees in history, takes about 200 years. 200 years, because it takes that long for a few generations to pass on to get to the time when everyone has forgotten. A time when people will hate their history and tear down their statues and memorials because they no longer remember who they are or what it even means. And to quote Dr. Blazik, a heritage lost 
is an identity stolen. And this is where we are right now as a society on the verge of a great reset, on the verge of bondage. Oh, Pastor Rob, you are so right. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to save America? Well, I don't know, but not by more centralized power. That's for sure. Voting in another party is going to do the same thing. I don't think that's going to be the answer. We have to get back to individual morals and virtues. The only way to save America is to seek and save lost Americans. Make the country uh, great now. Make the individual trusting in a great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah. Each and every individual. Maybe the country can be spared. Maybe it can't. But I'm here to remind us who we, the church, is and what your mission is, child of God. It wasn't the author's mission in Hebrews to save the country. Think about this. This book was written in 65 AD. The city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel was destroyed within the next five years. Did the followers of Jesus know that was going to happen? Yeah, they did. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, as they left the temple area one day, uh, his disciples were pointing to the temple buildings. and They were like so impressed with them. But he responded and said, do you see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another that will not be all torn down. The author here is not trying to save the temple or the city or the nation of Israel. He's trying to save individual Jews. Don't return back to that temple. That's going to come down. Don't abandon your faith in Jesus. Don't throw away your confidence. That's the only thing that will stand in the end. And that's what I'm trying to do, Faith Bible Church. I'm trying to prepare us for maybe even this great reset because when it comes, the only, we, it comes only us who remember who we are will be saved. For here in the church, we are the keepers of truth. The great deception is growing in our society. Nobody remembers what is right. And we must remind people what God has promised. If Jesus doesn't come back soon, we are going back into suffering, into tribulations. The nation is going into bondage. But remember, adversity and oppression is the fire that purifies. Persecution tries faith and burns off impurities, burns off the weeds and the dead wood and makes way for new spiritual life to grow. Verse 34, you showed sympathy to prisoners, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. You hear that? Well, let's be honest. I like my stuff. I like my comfy home and my car with heat and the winter and AC in the summer. And I like my luxuries. I like my disposable income and my freedoms and my downtime that I get to use to entertain myself. But if your life, if that is your life and that's all that is your life, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, where you live, you can then can be bought and sold owned and controlled. You can be marked, barcoded, and used as a commodity. My favorite toy growing up was G.I. Joe. Remember G.I. Joe? Right? A real American hero? I never knew what G.I. stood for. You know what G.I. stands for? 
government issued. When the government owns you, they can issue you your life. They own all your possessions in this world. But the author is reminding them of a better possession, he says in verse 34. Better enduring possession. That's his favorite word. Better in the book of Hebrews. Who's better? What's better? Jesus. Amen? The new covenant. Child of God, that's your inheritance. That's your heritage. That's your most prized possession. They can take your house. They can repossess your car, freeze your bank account, confiscate all your assets, steal an election, rewrite the Constitution, and cancel out all your rights and freedoms. But your faith, your free will that chooses what you believe, they can't take that away. The world didn't give it to you, and the world can't take it away. That's the part of you that was given to you by your Creator when you were made in His image. That's what transcends you beyond the world and the flesh. Jesus came to set your soul free to give you this great possession, this inheritance in his kingdom. And that's what we have. That's what we, Faith Bible Church, we're distributing, offering, donating, proclaiming to all who will listen. Here's a golden oldie for you. The hymn writers penned in this hymn, O Zion, haste, thy mission high fulfilling, to tell to all the world that God is light, that he who made all nations is not willing, one soul should perish, lost in shade of night. Behold how many thousands still are lying, bound in darksome prison house of sin, with none to tell them of the Savior's dying or of the life he died for them to win. Proclaim to every people, tongue, and nation that God in whom they live and move is love. Tell them how he stooped to save his lost creation and died on earth that we might live above. Publish glad tidings, tidings of peace, tidings of Jesus, redemption and release. That's what we have. That's what the early church had. And it's what we have to remember that amidst all of the tribulations, there is this better possession, this great reward for those who endure. Verse 35, therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which is, has a great reward for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So last week, kind of a heavy sermon. We were reminding you about hell and lake of fire and punishments that come. But this week, I'm here to tell you and remind you and encourage you with this great reward, this promise for those who do the will of God, for those who accept Jesus and stay true to their faith. And what is this great reward? What is he promising and what are we all looking forward to? Verse 37, For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. We are those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Jesus is coming again. This is what the author is reminding the audience. You went through all that suffering because you believed in Jesus. You went through all that persecution because you believed Jesus was the Messiah who died and rose again and said he's coming back. So remember that. Did Jesus say that? Did he say he was coming back? Yeah, John chapter 14 
says to his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. Well, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming again, and I will take you with myself. That where I am, you will be there, and you will know the way where I am going. Remember Acts chapter 1. Turn over there for a minute. Remember this scene? This is... Luke writing to remind the church all that had happened. Jesus began to do and teach, in verse number 2, till the day he was taken up to heaven, Acts 1, verse 2, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs, appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them things concerning the kingdom of God. So after he died... He rose again and he kept showing up for 40 days, showing them all these miracles. Gathering them together, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but, I will be, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they asked him, say, Lord, is it at this time you'll restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking at him, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently up into the skies, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothes stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way you watched him go up into heaven. And just a few verses before in Hebrews chapter 10, the author said in verse 23 to the audience, Hold fast your confession of faith without wavering. He who promises faithful, let us consider how to stimulate one another to good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the habit of some, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I see the day drawing near. Do you see that day, that return of Jesus approaching? Just like in 65 AD, five years before the fall of the temple in Jerusalem, it was all coming down because it was supposed to. Likewise, all that we're seeing here, 2023, the, the collapsing stock market and the financial bubbles popping, we see the loss of trust in our media, loss of trust in our educational institutions, our medical institutions, our governing institutions, the leadership, the inflation and the disruption of the supply chains. It's all coming down because it's supposed to. History's repeating itself so we have to learn the lessons and remember, remember what happened. Rome burned. The Christians were blamed. Great persecution came on the church. Yes, all that was true. But out of that came this explosive church growth, this revival. The church did its job and spread the message of hope to all the hurting, broken, despairing people. It spread to the slaves, the oppressed, the women who were second-class citizens in society. And all of these hurting, broken people flocked to the gospel. As society grows darker, the light of Jesus shines brighter. And that's what we have to remember. 
remember, people are suffering with anxiety and depression all around us. And all the man-made distractions, they're all failing. So it's our time once again to remember the better possession. Remember our great commission and our great reward. Not throw away our confidence, but to endure these times and faithfully do so and do the will of God. For yet in a little while, he says, he who is coming will come and the just shall live by faith. So next week, as we get into chapter 11, we're going to define faith and we're going to remember all the examples of faithful people from the Old Testament. They were all believing and looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And now we too, we who are believing, we're looking forward what? Same thing, the coming of the Messiah. Yet in a very little while, the one who is coming will come. It's going to get rough. Remember to hold on to your faith and hang on to this possession because this is what our job is and this is what's going to see us through. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I guess I would just like to conclude by, by praying a prayer of recommitments uh, and then maybe someone for the first time praying a prayer of faith. To, to say to the Lord, here and now, in your heart, dear Lord Jesus, help me to be true to my faith. Help me to trust in you. And maybe someone for the first time to say, Jesus, I want to trust in you. Please forgive me of my sins. Please give me that promise of eternal life. Please make me a, a, a heir to your eternal kingdom. And Lord, as we, your children, are here this morning, let us recommit to your message because you are coming back and your kingdom will reign on this earth and you will set all things new. And Lord, that is the great thing that we're waiting for. Not so much the bondage, but the great revival and release that one day you are going to set everything right. So maybe be true to that and faithful to that each and every day to do our work, to reach a lost, dying world with the hope of Jesus Christ in this gospel message. So bless us now to do these things. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.